Good afternoon, Metro Augusta. This is Janice Allen Jackson welcoming you to the April 28th edition of Local Matters, a show designed to make you a more confident voter and a more engaged citizen. As always, today's show is brought to you by my title sponsor, and that is the Security Federal Bank. Security Federal has 17 locations between Augusta, Georgia, and Columbia, South Carolina, and they would love to see you. They offer a variety of services uh, that includes investments, it includes financial counseling, it includes business loans, checking accounts, uh, all of the things that anyone would need, whether you're a nonprofit organization, a church, a business, or an individual looking to get ahead. Security Federal is interested in serving you. Also, the show is brought to you by Janice Allen Jackson and Associates, my consulting firm. I invite you to go to my website. It is JaniceAllenJackson.Weebly.com. And there you will learn more about me, my background, the services I provide, as well as my clients. I also have a Local Matters tab there on my website. And at the Local Matters tab, you will see a listing of all the shows that I have done since I started Local Matters back in March of 2020. Uh, we usually post those shows on Wednesday afternoons, so please go there uh, if there's anything you missed. There's also the technology such that you can share those shows with other people in your circle who may be interested in the topics that I have discussed. We provide Local Matters as a way to keep our community informed, and we want as many people as possible to know that we're here, so please help us spread the word. Speaking of shows, last week I had one of the best ever. I had Ms. Lynn Bailey. She is executive director of the Board of Elections. Uh, she handles voter registration for residents in Richmond County and has done so for the past 28 years. She talked about the changes to Georgia voting laws we know that our legislature made a number of changes. We also know that there were some things that were discussed but did not make the final bill. So this show was provided in order to give clarification on what was actually approved and signed into law by the governor. There are a couple of events that took place last week that I really would like to mention to you in case you missed those. Uh, one of those events was given by the Greater Augustus Interfaith Coalition. Uh, they, we have monthly public forums. Those public forums are broadcast on the fourth Thursday of every month. Uh, last week, we had Dr. Cheryl Evans-Jones, who is the president of Payne College. Uh, Dr. Jones and a member of her staff came in and talked about what's going on at Payne. Uh, we talked about admission standards and uh, how they approach the job of educating st students who need a school like Payne. 
so pain has been a tremendous asset in our community since 1882, I believe. So uh, if you're interested in what's happening at Payne College and you want to learn more about that, please go to the Facebook page of the Greater Augusta's Interfaith Coalition. Uh, that forum is there in its entirety. You can check out that video uh, to learn more about what's happening at our local HBCU. I also want to share with you an event that took place last night. Uh, there is a show called Tuesday Talks with Tanya. The host of that show is Ms. Tanya Gibbons. I know many of you in the community are familiar with Tanya. Uh, even though she didn't uh, grow up here in Augusta, she's been in our community for quite some time. Uh, she used to work in the office of the mayor. And since she left there, she started her own podcast too. So the tables were turned and I was her guest uh, last night. We had a fabulous talk about the role of women uh, as women seek to advance themselves, some of the barriers and obstacles that they face or we face. Uh, we talked about uh, our experiences, uh, mine specifically in local government. Uh, I, being in local government, I checked some stats recently and only about 14% of all city and county managers in this country are women. So we just talked about the environment. We talked about some of the things that uh, women face as they seek to advance themselves professionally. Uh, and we also talked about the topic of women running for office. Uh, you will recall that several months ago, I had a guest from Emily's List come in and talk about some of the reasons that women choose not to run for office, some of the things that uh, are fears and things that hold women back from uh, trying to seek elected office. And at the same time, we talked about how women have an effect on policy issues related to children and families that is so important and therefore that voice needs to be heard. So Tanya and I covered topics like that and quoted a few scriptures in the process. So uh, we would invite you uh, to please go to her YouTube channel. It is again called Tuesday Talks with Tanya. Uh, I think she'll have that episode posted sometime next week and as well, you can look at some of the previous episodes that she has done. Uh, but we had a great talk just talking about uh, the role of women and uh, how uh, we are going to have to stand up and support women as they try to do more and better for our society and for themselves. Uh, there are a couple of topics in the news that I also wanted to cover today. Uh, one of those relates to the Georgia Open Records Act. If you all have been following the Augusta Chronicle or the Augusta Press, uh, you will note that there have been articles about the fire chief search in Augusta. And those articles have focused on what they believe to be a violation of the Georgia Open Records Law. Uh, I certainly will not try to opine for you whether there is a violation here, but I do want to explain to you what that Georgia Open Records Law is about uh, so you have a better understanding of why they believe that this is such a significant issue. Uh, in short, the Georgia Open Records Act is a series of laws guaranteeing the public access to public records of government bodies. Public records are those documents generated by individuals or groups in public office in the course of their public service. 
every state department, agency, board, bureau, commission, and authority. So what that means from a practical standpoint, uh, if you're working in government, um, when I was working my full-time government positions in Albany and Augusta, now I'm doing some uh, consulting work for a local government. So if I write something, if I receive a document, send an email, send a letter, any, send a text message even, any uh, words that I generate that are recorded via electronically or on hard copy are subject to the Georgia Open Records Act. That is because those documents were generated or received in my official capacity. So that would apply to someone who is the city manager or administrator. It would apply to an elected official. It would apply to the city attorney or the city clerk. It would apply to a department director or anybody who is operating in his or her official capacity as one who is providing public service with a government agency. Now that you have a little bit of background about that law, and of course the purpose of that law is to ensure that the public uh, understands how business is being transacted by those that they have elected or those who have been appointed or hired by those that they've elected. Uh, you can see how those folks are conducting business on your behalf. Um, some states refer to this as a sunshine law. I think Florida calls it the sunshine law. Georgia, it's Open Records Act. Uh, federal government calls it Freedom of Information Act. So various government bodies or various states or um, states of federal government jurisdictions have uh, laws related to the release of information. So that is to say, um, you can file for documents to receive documents as part of the Open Records Act. Uh, you submit a request to whoever it is, the designated person in that particular government to receive uh, the request. Uh, you can um, request those documents. Uh, you can, uh, you are entitled to get a response within three business days. Sometimes that response is the actual document. And sometimes that response is just saying, hey, we have this document or we don't have it. And uh, if we have it and you want a printed copy, this is how much it will cost for us to produce a copy for you. So that is the essence of the law. In the particular case that has made the news here locally over the last several days, it relates to the search for the Augusta Fire Chief. Uh, the city has released the name of someone that they consider to be the sole finalist which is to say under that law, typically it is expected that if the position is an administrative head of an agency, that the law requires, Georgia law requires city and county governments to release those names within three 
days, released those, the, all the names of three finalists, excuse me, within that three-day period. Typically, it's expected that, yes, you, you name the top three. In some instances, like what Augusta has done here, they have declared that there was only one finalist. So um, they are only releasing the name of that one person. Uh, obviously, from a public information standpoint, you're thinking, well, you know, aren't we entitled to know that if this is someone that will be hired to supervise the provision of fire services to us and our community? And we want to know, we want to know about this person, background, where they came from, um, what they did prior to their applications for uh, the position of fire chief in our community. Uh, you want to, to, you could make the argument that yes, you're entitled to that information and to know exactly who the governing body had to choose from when they made that choice. However, um, the other side of that coin is that when you release information like that, if that those candidates, let's say those three finalists are employed uh, in other governmental organizations or non-government organization for that matter, if they're employed somewhere and their boss or bosses do not know that they have applied for this position, that could create some problems in their home communities, wherever it is that they are currently working. So that it maintains some privacy for the applicants. If you don't release all of the names of the finalists, um, that way, if you don't get the job, you don't have to worry about your boss back home saying, oh, I know he's or she's out looking for another position and maybe, you know, having some negative consequences for that sort of thing. Um, but on the other hand, it means if you don't release it, that the public uh, won't know who it is that their governing body interviewed for those positions. So that is, gives you a little bit of background about why that's been such a hot topic in the newspaper. And I hope this has enhanced your understanding of the issue. Uh, I am calling this particular episode the show me the money episode because I want to talk about funding that has been made available through the American Rescue Plan. You know, everybody knows that uh, when President Biden and Vice President, President Harris came into office, their first priority was getting some more money out. Uh, to uh, individuals and families who may be struggling, businesses who may be struggling as a result of uh, the coronavirus pandemic. Uh, we know they extended the Paycheck Protection Program, which is something that's offered by uh, my partner at Security Federal. Um, they also offered uh, SBA loans, low interest loans to businesses. So there was that type of direct assistance to businesses. There was the direct assistance that was made available to households in the form of stimulus payments for those households that were in fact eligible for those funds. But in this particular instance, I also wanna call your attention to the fact that money has been made available to county government, state government, city governments and school systems. Uh, those entities also were impacted by the coronavirus, and it is considered to be a stimulus for them. And because they exist to provide services for us, the public, uh, that money is also there to benefit us in a different way than the, the individual payments uh, that many of us receive. So I want to talk just a little bit about 
uh, what some of those funds are and how they can be utilized so that you know. Again, the purpose of Local Matters is to make sure that you're an informed uh, citizen and engaged. So I, I want you to understand that money. I've heard some conversation in the community about, hey, what should Augusta do with the money that they're receiving? So I want to let you know something about the history of this, the limitations of this, uh, just so you have a better understanding about how governments may go about using the stimulus dollars that have come to them through the American Rescue Plan Act of 2021. I will also say uh, that the funds aren't there yet. They are on their way, but they're not there yet. Um, each local government is still awaiting their allocations Funds may be available as soon as mid-May, June, somewhere in there is what um, we're guessing. Uh, but let's let's talk a little bit about what the American Rescue Plan Act of 2021 is and how it will affect your state, local, and tribal governments. Um, the money uh, goes to all of the states, including the District of Columbia. Uh, which and the total amount to be allocated is $219 billion. If you can imagine a huge number like that. Cities and counties will receive a total of $130 billion. And out of that total, about $65 billion will go to the counties. And another $45.5 billion will go to cities with populations over 50,000, uh, which means that Augusta is in that larger category. Funds can be used for the following purposes. To respond to the coronavirus health impacts or economic impacts, including assistance to households, small businesses, nonprofits, and impacted industries, including hospitality, travel, and tourism. That is to say that the money will go directly to the cities, states, and counties, but that it is an eligible use for them to forward some of that money to various stakeholders, again, households, small businesses, nonprofits, and impacted industries to include, but not limited to, hospitality, travel, and tourism. The money can also be used to provide premium pay for essential workers up to $13 an hour with an annual cap of $25,000. So those essential workers that had to be out there regardless of the circumstances during the pandemic and continuing now, uh, there is still additional pay available to them if the local government chooses to make that available. Funds can also be used to cover lost revenue in providing services. Um, if there were any extra services that a local government provided as a result of the pandemic, uh, say, for instance, the health department, give you a good example. Uh, Dr. Goggins was on a few weeks ago as health director, and he talked about how they had to add staff in order to do the contact tracing. And now in order to give the vaccinations, they've had to uh, hire more people, testing as well, all those things created a need for additional staff, which cost them more money in terms of payroll. Um, so this covers lost revenue. Uh, this particular bullet talks about lost revenue, but they also, as I understand it, can use the money to pay for additional expenses that were incurred as a result of the pandemic. 
Also, uh, the money can be used to make investments in water, sewer, and broadband infrastructure. So a lot of times um, in a lot of communities, Augusta being one, thousands and thousands of other communities throughout the country lost money. I mean, excuse me, have a need to uh, invest in water, sewer, and broadband infrastructure. Uh, we noticed at schools, um, people were working from home, people were going to school from home, that created an enormous demand, and some people were not living in areas where they had good uh, broadband anyway. Uh, so this money provides an opportunity if communities want to invest in uh, additional infrastructure uh, in order to make that happen. Uh, there are other limitations. One is that the funds cannot be used to cover lost revenues if the losses were due to a tax cut. So if you cut your taxes, you can't make that up with that. But if you left it the same and you still had a revenue shortfall, uh, you can use the money. States and local governments can use the money to do that. Um, I hope that helps some in terms of your understanding of how uh, that money can be used by states and local governments. Uh, having said that, uh, many local governments are going through planning processes on this money. The first round of money made it a little bit difficult because it had to be spent quickly. Uh, this time, this money uh, doesn't have to be spent until the end of 2024. So essentially, they have uh, three and a half years to spend those dollars, which means that those local governments would be well served to go through an in-depth extensive planning process to determine how those dollars best benefit their communities. And that's where you come in as a citizen. Uh, it is incumbent upon us if there are particular things that we think our community needs that fit within those categories, uh, infrastructure, pay for essential workers, uh, grants to businesses, um, uh, grants to nonprofits, et cetera, et cetera. If those are the things that you think the community should invest in with this windfall of dollars, it is incumbent upon us as taxpayers to let our elected officials know what our priorities would be. Um, we should be knocking the doors down. If you're interested in this issue, uh, don't hesitate to email your commissioners, your school board members. Uh, don't hesitate to get in touch with them uh, to let them know where you think the money should go so that they make decisions that reflect your best interest. To give you some examples of how some communities plan to spend their dollars, let's talk about the subject of inclusivity. Uh, last time we recall, I'm sure that as there was a rush to distribute dollars to businesses, many of the uh, Black-owned businesses, quite frankly, did not qualify for that funding. I heard horror stories about how they tried to apply, they were rejected, they got frustrated because the systems were so bureaucratic. Um, some communities, I think this time around, because there is more time, would be well served to help those businesses that were not able to get help last time get access to those dollars. Um, there should be an effort to ensure that capital, there's adequate access to capital as well as technical assistance.
existence, um, but it requires uh, that there's a deliberate effort to do that type of thing. Um, likewise, we know in our community, we've talked about vaccine hesitancy. Some communities plan to use those dollars to get more folks out into the community to, uh, to approach those who are reluctant and get them to uh, participate in the vaccine program. And you've seen some things I'm sure about how um, you know, they're considering, airlines are considering, well, to get on the plane, you got to show proof of being vaccinated. Uh, there are ways I can see that some people, if you haven't been vaccinated, you're going to get held back. Uh, there are going to be things that you want to do that you're not going to be able to do because you don't have proof of the vaccination. So it will become a barrier, another barrier um, in society that already seems to be filled with enough barriers. It seems like there'll be just another one. So there are some ways that I think the African-American community and other people of color specifically uh, can be addressed with this funding uh, to ensure uh, equity. You know, we, we talk a lot these days about equity. I'm not sure you can guarantee that overnight. Uh, but there are some ways that you can make an effort so that uh, people of color, vulnerable communities, low-income folks, uh, small uh, and minority-owned businesses, uh, that those folks can be reached because there is some extra money to make the extra effort. Uh, and if that, those are the types of things that you believe would help in your community, um, please let your elected officials know that. I read one particular article that encouraged communities not just to spend their money, but invest the money. And when we talk about investments, we mean things that are going to have a return for us, things that will pay off in the long run. So uh, we as citizens should hold our elected officials accountable uh, for ensuring that that money is indeed invested for the benefit for the, of those they serve and in their communities. Next week, uh, please join me because I will have someone from Security Federal uh, come back in. Uh, we're going to talk about a topic uh, that is also under consideration at the federal level, and that is uh, existing school loans. Uh, someone from Security Federal's uh, financial counseling group will come in and talk to us about uh, how people can deal with all of the stress, uh, quite frankly, that those school loans are causing them. Are there any strategies that you can employ uh, to relieve the burden of those school loans on you? So please join us uh, next week on Local Matters. Thanks so much for being a part of the Local Matters family. And we look forward to next week's show.